All right, well, we might open the Bibles to John chapter 6, starting from verse 16. John 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labour for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Dear God, we come to you this morning and we just ask that that these words, these words that John penned, that you allowed and you inspired John to pen, Father, may they impact us. May they tell us of how great Jesus is. May we hear, may we hear not just words spoken by a a mere man up the front, but may we hear your voice and may we be affected by your voice as you proclaim how great your son is, how great Jesus is. Help me, Lord, in this task. Help me to be faithful, to be poured out as an offering worthy for your glory and your splendour that Christ would be exalted this morning. Amen. About uh, just over 10 years ago, when I was at uni, I was working in Rebel Sport in Hornsby. And it was just a job that I was doing on the side to get a bit of money while I was at uni. And... uh, you know, it, it was a fun job, but most of the time, the moments, the situations, the circumstances that I found myself were pretty ordinary. Uh, it was just a job where I was in footwear too, to be honest, and of all jobs to do where people take their shoes off, it's not always the funnest job. But I still enjoyed it nonetheless, and I certainly enjoyed the people that I worked with. And so it was an ordinary day. But on this one particular ordinary, ordinary day, it was around 2002, uh, in walked to the store 
one of Australian rugby players, greatest players that we've ever had, Sterling Mortlock. Sterling Mortlock, who had played maybe, I think, I think in the last camp, was 89 caps for Australia. 89 times he walked onto the field for Australia. Sterling Mortlock, the guy that, that I think is the fourth highest try scorer for Australian rugby ever. Sterling Mortlock, who in the year that he walked into Rebel Sport Hornsby while I was working, was actually named the Super Rugby Player of the Year. In that ordinary moment was one of the greatest rugby players. In that ordinary moment, that everyday situation and circumstance that, that I'd walked in so many times, that I'd just been a part of so often, all of a sudden I had a chance in that ordinary moment to see someone great in that ordinary occasion. Now what was interesting was in that moment for me when I was seeing someone great, was my colleagues that I was working with didn't necessarily see someone great. Some of my colleagues just saw someone who was an opportunity to make money off. Some of my colleagues saw someone who was just another man that was work for them, hard work for them. Some of them saw an opportunity perhaps to avoid work uh, and to get away from what they were supposed to be doing. See, in that situation, I saw someone great, but other people saw different things. In that situation, in that circumstance, I saw someone great. And yet other people saw this man differently, saw Sterling Mortlock differently. That passage that we just read in John's Gospel highlights that in every situation... In every circumstance, whether it's ordinary, whether it's stormy, whether it's like a banquet, whether it's a a place where you're making mistakes, in every situation that you find yourself in, you have the opportunity to see that Jesus is truly great. You have the opportunity to see and savour how great Jesus is. That Jesus is actually even greater than the situation, the circumstance that you find yourself in. I want us to see this morning, if you like, that Jesus is greater. And I want us to see that, that in every situation we ought to see that Jesus is greater. Three points that I want us to see as we walk through this passage, three movements, three moments, three circumstances that you will find yourself in this week, that you will find yourself in every day even this week. I want you to see firstly that Jesus is greater than the storms of life. I want you to see secondly that Jesus is greater than the banquets of life. And I want you to see that Jesus is greater than the mistakes of life. Jesus is greater, firstly, than the storms of life. Jesus is greater, secondly, than the banquets of life. And Jesus is greater than the mistakes of life, than the mistakes you'll make in life. So we're going to look at these sections, these movements, these circumstances, these moments you will find yourself in, in the hope that in, in this coming week you will, in bearing in mind John 6, find yourself being able to see and encounter that Jesus is greater in every moment, in every occasion that you will find yourself in. So look with me at the first section and, 
as we look at the first point, that Jesus is greater than the storms of life. some point this week, you no doubt will be buffeted by storms. Life does throw at us or we find ourselves in stormy weather. We find ourselves, maybe it's the storms that are thrown at us with physical illness. Maybe it's the storms that we find where we are rocked by financial insecurity. Maybe you're shaken and buffeted by big waves of family conflict. Maybe you're in a storm of uh, being wronged by someone and you are finding it hard to forgive them. Hard to find reconciliation. Maybe you are this morning in a storm. The disciples find themselves in a storm and in that moment, in that storm, they are enabled and and able to see that Jesus is greater than their situation or circumstance. Look with me at verse 16. I'm going to read verse 16 through to verse 19a and I want you to see the predicament. I want you to see this massive predicament they're in. If you like, I think in each situation, John is trying to set us up to see a contrast. A contrast where we have perhaps something small, not to to say that any storm you face is insignificant, but rather to see that in comparison, in contrast to the greatness of Jesus, he is far greater. To see, if you like, to compare perhaps a drop in the ocean, a drop of water to the ocean. To contrast or compare an orange to the earth, or as a golf ball is to the sun, I want you to see as we read this, the storm that they face to the greatness of Jesus. And so let's consider the storm. Let's look at the storm, verse 16 to 19a. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, pause there. I think John is really highlighting for us the predicament. He is highlighting three clear things that I see in this. He wants us to see and to be highlighting that in this moment, the disciples are in a boat and it's dark. Firstly, in this storm, for them, it is dark. I don't know if you've ever been on the ocean at night. Many times I've been surfing and enjoying the surf too much that it's just getting darker and darker and I fail to get out. But what happens is I fail to actually get to, I get to a point where I fail to actually see much at all. It's hard when you're on the ocean to see, let alone if there is a storm where there are clouds and it's pitch black. This is the situation I want us to see that John wants to highlight for us. It is dark. Secondly, he wants us to see that it is rough, that it's a rough sea and there's a big wind. There are big waves buffeting them. Here they are in this situation, this predicament. It's pitch black. There's massive waves buffeting their boat. They're being pounded and thrown. And then we're told in 19 that they're about three or four miles, about five or six kilometres uh, in Matthew's Gospel, or in Mark's Gospel, they place the boat actually in the middle of the lake. They're a long way from land. Do you see the predicament? Do you see how fierce this storm is for them? It's pitch black. They can't see a thing. Waves are crashing their, their boat. And they're a long way from any help. It's a storm. 
It's a fierce storm. Do you see the storm? Do you see the storms that you face maybe? Maybe it's the illness, the physical illness. Maybe it's the financial strain. Maybe it's the conflict, the family conflict that we spoke about. It's a storm that they're in. Contrast the storm now to how great Jesus is. See, in 19b and following, we'll read, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. See, contrast this storm, this darkness, these big waves buffeting them. They're a long way. They're about five, six kilometers away from land. And then you see Jesus effortlessly walking, calm, in control. The storm is out of control. They feel like they can't do anything to overcome this storm. And yet Jesus is in control, walking, effortless. The contrast is highlighted for us in this account. And so Jesus effortlessly walks up in the middle of this storm for the disciples. And you see the words that he says? It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, for us in our translation in English, it is I makes sense. But in the actual Greek, it might be said better, I am. It is read, I am. Do not be afraid. Where have you heard those words? Where have you heard this booming voice say, I am? Where else in the Bible? Search the scriptures and you'll often find this coupling, if you like, of God's presence being made known, quickly followed by the words, do not be afraid. Perhaps the disciples didn't quite pick up on it, but I think John, as he's penning this, wants us, the reader, to see it clearly. Here is Jesus making himself known for who he is. He is the I am. He is not one who was. He's not one who will be, but he is the I am. He's not one who has had a a cause affect him. I was, but now am. No, he is the I am. I am the causer of all things. This is God walking up to them. This is the one who is in control of all things, even the storms of life. So do not be afraid. This is the one who I am, who caused all things to be, who every atom and molecule is held in its place in obedience to him, that when he walks on the H2O atoms, they are obedient and he walks on water like you and I cannot Do you see the contrast? In the storm, buffeting by waves, pitch black, a long way from land. Storm. And then they are able to see Jesus as greater than even the storm. They are able to see and behold the majesty, the glory of God. Amidst the storm and their response, we are told, is that they are glad. In this, this uh, terrifying storm, now they are glad as they glimpse and see that Jesus is greater than the storms of life. And they reach their haven. Immediately they reach their haven, their destination. I wonder, how do you go at glimpsing how Jesus is great greater than the storms you will face.
this week, in the storms that you have faced the week that has just gone. Jesus is greater in every and every situation you'll find yourself in. When you find yourself in a stormy situation, may we be enabled to see that Jesus is greater. It's interesting in Matthew and Mark's account of this same story, they actually inform us that Jesus put the disciples into the boat. Jesus put the disciples into the boat and sent them into the storm. The one who is in control, the one who is the I am, the causer of all things, causes them, allows them, sends them even into a storm. Why? Why does God, why does the Son of God send them into a storm? To see and show that He is greater. To see and glimpse His greatness. That in every situation He is greater. To enjoy Him. To savour and, and be increased in affection for Him. Storms, if you like, God sends to wean us off dependence on other things that we might depend more on Him. Later on in John, John 15, we read about that Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Even the branches that are bearing fruit are pruned. Why are they pruned? When a branch is pruned, it, it, it uh, draws more from the vine. When a branch is pruned and cut, it then in turn will draw more from the vine. Here is Jesus putting them into a boat and sending them into a storm that they might see that he is greater and not draw from the wrong things, but draw from the greatest thing, the greatest being, the I am. Jesus is greater than the storms of life. Jesus is greater. And the second point that we want to see as we look through this passage, this section, the second movement is that Jesus isn't only great in storms, in fact, greater than the storms of life, Jesus is greater than the banquets and the blessings that you will enjoy in life. See, the the crowd, the crowd previously, the day before, the crowd have, have had a banquet. Their bellies are full. They've had a wonderful feast. It's been like the fillet of fish meal that they've been longing for, where over 5,000 people were fed in a miraculous way. And they're so satisfied with such a, a blessing and with a banquet. And so here they are now looking for more blessing, seeking more blessing. Will they, will they see that Jesus is greater than even the blessing and the banquets of life? Let's look and see. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, 
but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So we see here is the crowd. The crowd, the day before, as we said, have had a great banquet, have had a great feast. And they've woken on that day thinking, okay, where is Jesus? We noticed, they noticed that he didn't get into the boat with the disciples. There was one boat. The disciples get into the one boat. Jesus doesn't. That boat leaves for Capernaum. They awake the next day wondering, well, where is Jesus? Because he was not in that boat. Where is the one who fed us, who gave us this great banquet? Let's find him. And they can't find him. How's he gone? And so they're seeking Jesus. And the motive for seeking Jesus isn't clear yet, is it, at that that point? It's not clear. Are they seeking Jesus because they want more banquets or because they want him, the giver of the banquet and the gift? It's not clear yet. But they're seeking him, that is clear. And so they search, and somehow some other boats from Tiberias come along. They jump on those boats, and they make their way to Capernaum to find Jesus. And they ask a question. They say, how, how did you get here? And it's a good question, but Jesus seems to think, well, that's not really worth addressing. He actually addresses something else. Being the omniscient, the one who is truly greater, Jesus addresses their hearts. And now we are made known of what their motive is. Verse 26, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. On him, Jesus is greater than, then the banquet. Do you see again the contrast? As, as a drop of water is to the ocean, as an orange is to the earth, or a golf ball to the sun, they've had a great banquet. We cannot deny that. The banquet was, was no doubt great. But, but, but seek him who God the Father has set his seal. He is greater than the banquet. See him in the banquets of life, that Jesus is greater how often do we come to Jesus with our head full of our needs, our wants, our desires for more banquets rather than being consumed with a heart overflowing and adoring Him? That we have Him who is greater than the banquets and blessings of life. It makes me wonder and think sometimes that perhaps the crowd and then I put myself in the crowd like them are like a spoilt child. You know the, the kind where you've... Perhaps you can imagine that you've, you've, uh, you're going to a, a, a party for a young child and you've thought a lot about the present, right? And you've thought, okay, I'm going to buy a present for this child and, and, and you're actually excited about the present you bought. You think, this is, this is a really cool present. I would have loved it if I was five. And you're pretty pumped and perhaps you maybe even, given your budget, had to sacrifice somewhere else because you actually ended up getting the really good present. And so you yourself, you've even made a sacrifice to give this gift. And then picture the child as the gift is placed before them and it's just a unwrap. Next. I don't know if you've ever seen that or experienced that, but, but I'm sure you know the concept of a spoiled child. The child that is overindulgent in gifts and very unappreciative. The child that is overindulgent in banquets, blessings, and unappreciative. Here's what happens is they, they don't acknowledge the giver, do they? 
They don't acknowledge as they receive a gift the giver in any way. They're unappreciative. Here is the crowd who, who have had an incredible banquet, a gift, and they fail to see the food that lasts. They fail to see the giver. They pursue Jesus wanting more banquets, wanting more blessing, not wanting the one who is greater. I wonder how we do that. I wonder if we pursue and, and, and in the many gifts that we get, and in, let's, let's admit it that many of us in this room have many rich banquets, many blessings that we enjoy each and every day. Maybe it's the car that you drive. What a blessing. Maybe it's the house that you live in, the roof over your head. What a ble- It's the three meals that you enjoy, the banquets that you enjoy. Are we like the crowd though? Do we fail in the banquets of life to acknowledge that Jesus is the great giver? Are we overindulgent in the gifts that we fail to appreciate the giver? And you know what happens? When a, sport, when a child is spoiled, I think they actually end up not even appreciating the gifts. They don't appreciate the giver, but they don't appreciate the gifts either. And they quickly lose interest in any gift, even as good as the gift might be, and you've thought so much about it, and they might enjoy it for about a minute. And then they're looking for satisfaction elsewhere. Can you relate to that too? We have a banquet, and then like the crowd, we're seeking more. Okay, where's the next banquet coming from? Something else. We want another kind of blessing. We're not satisfied in the blessing. You know what? You were not designed to be satisfied in the gifts. The gifts ought to show you that there is a great giver. Jesus is greater than the banquets and blessings of life. Jesus is greater. And that you can see and savor him even in the good times that you will enjoy this week that you can enjoy and treasure him, that you will find him to be the end of your ache, your thirst, your quench, that your longings will be fulfilled and satisfied and find hope and rest in him, not in the banquet. Enjoy your banquet. Enjoy the blessings. But see that he is greater than the banquets of life. Well, thirdly, as we walk through this passage together, we see that not only is Jesus greater than the storms of life, not only is Jesus greater than the banquets of life, but Jesus is greater than the mistakes of life. If I were to pause and somehow talk to you about your last week, would you be able to see areas where you have made mistakes? What if I took a day, just one day, and pulled that out and we pondered that? Would you measure up? Would you measure up to your own standards? Would you measure up to God's standards? Would you measure up? Have you made mistakes? Have you made physical mistakes? Have you made spiritual mistakes? Have you made social mistakes where you don't measure up, where you have found yourself saying the wrong thing, making a mistake? 
Is Jesus greater? Yes, Jesus is greater than even the mistakes of life we want to see here. Look with me at verse 28. We see that the crowd come to Jesus and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they've just heard that that they ought not to be seeking just the banquets, but to seek food that lasts, to seek the one who is greater than the banquets. And they respond, well, they want this, they want this, but they, they respond in a kind of a confidence that they can do, that they are able, that they in and of themselves are able to achieve, that they won't make mistakes, they will achieve the work of God. So tell us, what do we do because we can do it. We will do the works of God. There's this kind of arrogance and a, an assumption that they can achieve it. What do we do? But friends, we know, we know that we fall short, right? Can we do the works of God? We read that, that uh, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We read that, that 2 Corinthians, that we live not for God, but for ourselves, 2 Corinthians 5. We know that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sin, we make mistakes. And the wages of sin, we're told in Romans, is death. We have this incredible problem that we are not perfect And that the problem is that our lack of affection, our our sin, is worthy and earning not more banquets like they desire, not communion with the holy God, but death. On top of that, if we want to enjoy and know how great God is, if we want to enjoy the relationship with Jesus who is greater, we have this issue that he is holy, he is perfect, he is set apart. He is absolutely holy. Perfect. Ponder this. Ponder if there was a rugby team who was perfect. That every player in that team was perfect. That every player in that team did their role perfectly. And they never made a mistake. Never. Now ponder this. For some reason, the coach is willing to allow you to join that team. Previously, the headlines were the perfect rugby team. True. Never made a mistake. They were perfect. Then you join them. Let's say you make two mistakes. Let's say, in fact, you do all right, but you only make one mistake. You can no longer have that headline. The team is no longer perfect because you are present in that team, one who makes mistakes. You cannot no longer have the title, the perfect rugby team, if you are present among that team, one who makes mistakes, even a mistake. God is a holy God. God is a holy, perfect God. You and I make mistakes. Not only do we have this issue that our mistakes deserve death, we have this issue that we are not good enough to be in his presence. We cannot be in his presence because we ourselves are not perfect. How interesting then that they assume in 28, this crowd assumes that they can do what is required because it seems that the scriptures make it so clear that I cannot, I cannot do in and of myself what is required, the works of God. I will make mistakes. 
My mistakes deserve death. My mistakes don't allow me to enjoy the presence of God who is a perfect God because I fail, I fall short, I am not perfect. But again, this contrast, here I am in my mistakes, my physical mistakes that I've made, my spiritual mistakes that I've made, my social mistakes, this contrast like a drop in the ocean, a drop of water to the ocean or an orange to the earth or a golf ball to the sun, your mistakes to the greatness of Jesus. See the contrast. Verse 29, Jesus says, The work of God, this is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. Who did he send? He sent one who would solve our biggest problem. Our problem that we make mistakes, that we are not perfect and cannot approach a perfect holy God. He sent one who would stand in my place, that in my biggest problem that I am a sinner who deserves death, And my only hope being that somehow God would allow someone to take my place of what I deserved. God sent one who would stand in my place that what I deserve would be transferred onto him. How great a saviour. What a great redeemer. And that in turn him, he would send one who lived a life of righteousness, perfect who in no way made a mistake and that his righteousness would be swapped and given to me that I might live and stand and approach a holy God. Wonder of all wonders is the atonement. Wonder of wonders is how great the Son of God is. That he would die for me, that he would live a perfect life, that his righteousness would be imputed, given, transferred Credited to my account. His life worth given for me. That I, the one who makes mistakes, I, the one who is not holy, am now counted and credited as holy in the sight of God. Wow. That I am washed whiter than snow. Wow. My mistakes, in contrast to how great Jesus is, How's the temptation that you're going to find yourself in this week, though, in the circumstances where, in moments throughout this week, you'll, you will make mistakes. You will stuff up physically. You'll stuff up spiritually. And, and if you're like me, you're going to be tempted to think that if you want to get the works of God, you're going to have to work really hard. If you want to be rewarded by God, then you got, you've got to earn it. And that in your mistakes, you will fail at times to look at that Jesus is greater than even in my mistakes. But perhaps you'll be tempted to try and work and just if I just do some more quiet times, I'll receive more blessing. I know what that is like. I know that even for me, the temptation is to make sure that as I lead up to a week where I'm, I'm preaching a sermon, my temptation is to think I've really got to make sure that I just do some really good quiet times this week if I want Sunday's message to go well, if I want a reward, I've got to earn it. But, it. but the wonder of wonders is that even in my mistakes, it's not my work 
that will achieve a blessing. It's the work of the one who is greater. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Jesus great? That even in my mistakes and my lack of perfection, I can look to him. That in each and every circumstance that you find yourself in, I can look to him, you can look to him, we can look to him and see that he is greater, that he lived a perfect life for my mistakes and that there is nothing I can do, nothing I can do that will make God love me less. Hear that and believe that and see Jesus this week when you make mistakes, that there is nothing you can do that will make God love you less than what he loves you in Jesus, the greatest. Hear and see this too, that there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. To receive more blessing, you can't do. What must I do to be doing the works of God? Look to him. He is great. He is greater than your mistakes. Be overwhelmed. Allow your heart to be expanded to your affection for him to see and gaze that he is the greatest even in your mistakes. See Jesus see Jesus in the ordinary, every circumstance. It's like I said with, with Stealing Mortlock, walking into this situation where it was an ordinary situation. Some saw an opportunity to make money. Some saw an opportunity to uh, work. In every situation you find yourself, the storms... The banquets, the mistakes, in every circumstance, in every moment, look to Jesus and see he is greater than the situations you will face this week. I'm a teacher and uh, as a teacher, part of my job at times is testing the students to see and gauge in some ways where they're at. Um, But I do understand and grasp that testing situations can throw people sometimes. And I have to admit that I've certainly been given some funny answers in testing situations. There was one time where we were talking about the question uh, was, what is binge drinking? What is binge drinking? As a PDHPE teacher, we teach them about alcohol and binge drinking. And, And this student wrote that binge drinking was when someone drinks three to four cases of beer in an hour. And... That's what his definition of binge drinking. And I assume that he actually meant to write three to four maybe beverages, alcoholic beverages, but he wrote cases. See, in testing conditions, we can make mistakes. I know for me, I know in testing conditions, I've made mistakes. There was the first time I went for my license, and I was 17, and I knew how to drive, or at least I thought I did. And I'd done the circuit that we were, I was being taken on by the tester. I'd done it. I'd driven it several times. And yet, on the way back to the RTA, for whatever reason, under these testing conditions, I made the mistake of turning down onto the wrong side of the road with a medium strip and a car coming at me. (laughs) In testing conditions, we can make mistakes. We can find it difficult. You know the tests that I really enjoy? The tests that I love are where you're actually given the questions before. Or even better if you're allowed to know the answer. You know the kind when a math teacher says, here's the answer, I just want to see if you can work through to get that answer. I love those tests. 
I want you to see in this passage in John that the answer ought to always be in every situation, every moment, every circumstance you face, whether it's stormy, whether it's a banquet, whether you have made mistakes in every situation, I want you to be able to work through knowing that the answer you ought to see is that Jesus is greater, that you would be weaned off depending on other things to depend more and more on the greatest, that your eyes would glimpse in every circumstance how splendid, how awesome, how glorious your Saviour is. And you would not see the situation or the circumstances as great, but you would see him as greater. That you would right-size yourself, that you would right-size yourself and your situations, your moments, and right-size him, for he is greater. He is greater than your storms. He is greater than your banquets. He is greater than your mistakes. What a saviour we have. Jesus is greater. In 1914, there was a man called Ernest Shackleton. You may have heard of him. You may have heard this story. Ernest Shackleton was a great adventurer who decided he was going to go to Antarctica. And uh, he set out from England uh, with a team. And along the way, they actually uh, got trapped in some ice. And they were trapped in the ice for 10 months, unable to move as the ship was trapped in the ice. And eventually the ice started to crush the ship. So after 10 months of just staying in the ship, they then had to get out of the ship and camp on the ice for five months. Five months now of being camped on the ice. And then after a time, Ernest decided that he was actually you know, going to go and seek help. So they got into one of the, the ship's dinghies, one of the boats, the lifeboats. And they travelled, I think it was 800 miles, about 1,200 kilometres just a, a small number of them in this little boat. 1,200 kilometres being rocked and buffeted in freezing cold water. What a man, what an adventurer. And, and for this trip, apparently, Ernest Shackleton put an ad in the paper advertising for people to apply to be part of his team. Here's what the ad said. Men wanted... For hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, (laughs) honour and recognition in case of success. And then he signed his name, Ernest Shackleton, at the bottom. And you can Google uh, the, the ad, you can see the paper that was placed in. This ad. Let me just read that again, some of those things. Constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Who's going to apply for a job like that? And yet the man's name at the bottom was Ernest Shackleton. This man had a reputation. This man was viewed as someone that was great in any and every situation. And thousands applied. Thousands applied because they were willing to go through these situations, these circumstances, if Ernest was with them. Because he was a great man. This week, you will go through some difficult times. Do not let anyone tell you that being a Christian means that you will not suffer, that you will not face storms. The Old and the New Testament are clear, friends, that there there are storms 
And that just as Christ suffered, so we who follow Christ will suffer. And yet, the one who is in the boat with us is greater. He is greater than any storm you'll face. He is greater than the banquets that you'll feast on, the blessings that you will enjoy this week. And he is greater than the mistakes. And so enjoy this week knowing and being privileged to see the splendor, the majesty, the greatness of Jesus, your Saviour, your King, who is with you in every moment, in every situation, in every circumstance. As I was preparing this week, I kept having this, this uh, hymn, this song uh, in my mind, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I actually want to end just by reading the words of this hymn, this song. Friends, Jesus is greater than the storms that you and I will face. And so may our hearts be filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside, who floods my weaknesses with strength and causes fears to fly, whose every promise is enough for every step I take, sustaining me with arms of love and crowning me with grace. Friends, Jesus is greater than the banquets and blessings that you will face in life. And so may our hearts be filled with thankfulness to him who reigns above, whose wisdom is our perfect peace, whose every thought is love. For every day that we have on earth, it's a gift. It's a banquet given by the King. So may we give our life our all to love and follow him. And friends, Jesus is greater than the mistakes of life and the mistakes that you will make this week. And so may our hearts be filled with thankfulness to him who bore our pain, who plumbed the depths of our disgrace and gave us life again, who crushed my curse, our curse of sinfulness, and clothed us with his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon our heart. Friends, as a drop of water is to the ocean, as an orange is to the earth, as a golf ball is to the sun, may you see the radical contrast that in every and every situation that you find yourself in, may they be right-sized that you would see that in those moments, in those situations, Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Thank you that you're a great God. Thank you that you're a great Saviour, Lord Jesus. May you enable us, may you help us this week, whether we have faced storms, whether we enjoy banquets, whether we make mistakes, may we cherish and treasure you as greater. May we have eyes to see that you are greater than each and every situation and circumstance we find ourselves in. Amen.